So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Okay, in other news, I have news to share. My baby niece was born just a couple of hours ago, and if you've been praying, thank you so much for the prayers. Mom and baby are doing great. They had us going for the last few days. It was a long pre-labor, and my sister is really working hard, and that baby girl is born. I'm so excited to meet her. Now, the terrible part, family living so far away from each other. I have to wait almost a month to see the baby. In the meantime, I'll be ooing and aahing over photos and video and harassing my poor sister for more photos and videos. So thank you again for your prayers. They're much appreciated. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie today here on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly marriage hour. We talk everything from dating relationships to marriage, seasons marriages to new marriages. Today on the agenda, everything from communication skills 101 working through conflict with your spouse, but really with anyone, practicing those important listening skills. Remember, I've taken a couple listening skill workshops, active listening, and it's so helpful, especially within marriage. Also, you've probably heard the news about Shia LaBeouf. That is the actor Shia LaBeouf's conversion from Even Stevens on Disney Channel to Transformers to many other films. You know him, and he's converted to Catholicism and playing Padre Pio, the young Padre Pio, in the forthcoming Padre Pio film. But what's interesting is he claims the ex-girlfriend who accused him of horrible abuse allegations is a part of what saved his life. We'll talk about the importance of who to and who not to date and how sometimes breaking up with someone can change your life. We'll also unpack sister wives, polygamy. It's on the rise and perhaps you know people who maybe aren't quite labeling it polygamy but are suddenly open to Open marriages, one spouse, and the real challenges. How is this different from serial dating? Well, joining me in just a moment will be celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda here on Trending. We're also taking your questions as well. The number is 1-888-914-9149. If you have a question for Christina, she matchmakes us lowly peasants as well. So again, ask now on social media or just give us a call, 1-888-914-9149 or Timmer on Instagram and social media, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Christina Pineda from Matchmakers in the City, welcome back to Trending. Great to be with you, Timmery. Let's talk a little bit about the whole Shia LaBeouf story. So we've been discussing his conversion. If you missed it, we'll post a link on social media in the podcast notes. I walked through a lot of the audio. It's incredible to just see where he's come over the last couple of years. But part of his story includes being in the depths of despair at the lowest of lows. His mom wasn't talking to him. His talent agents, no one was calling him back. He'd been accused of a abuse by his ex FK Twigs who's known as an English singer and it was an absolute mess and something that stood out in Shia LaBeouf's story is in the interview with Bishop Robert Barron he shared that he was tempted when the allegations came out just go to Twitter and write all these terrible things about her but he said I wanted to justify this and explain everything but he says now I actually see the woman saved my life she is for me a saint in my life she saved my life 
He said that happened. The perspective switch feels miraculous. So we went from wanting to accuse and blame and point out what was and wasn't true and defend himself to recognizing this public allegation and also the breakup is part of what led to part of his conversion. I'm interested to hear as a matchmaker and relationships expert, Christina, your thoughts on the entire situation. Yes, and this was a really refreshing story to hear because Shia had the humbleness to admit that a woman breaking up with him actually saved his life or came close to it was one of the reasons that helped him get on a better path. He was going down a really terrible path and he even said he just didn't want to live anymore. And this relationship that he was having with her, even though she may have, she clearly was attracted to him and had, they had a lot of chemistry and all of that. It wasn't a healthy relationship. So she ended the, I guess they, the relationship ended. I don't know the exact specifics, but it was, she did accuse him of a lot of terrible things. And it did bring up to me this idea that often people will see the singleness season in their lives as a waste of time. But Shia's story actually shows the impact of a woman who wouldn't deal with his abuse. And she had, of course, he's going to explain when the trial comes, the details. I don't know the details of it, but she had a better impact on him through breaking up with him than through staying with him. Clearly, he got sober and ended up converting to Catholicism. So frequently, people will say, I just want to hold on to this person. I love this person. He's my soulmate or she's my soulmate. I don't care that this is abusive or unhealthy or whatever the situation is. The best way I can love this person is to be with this person. But that's actually not true. And the best thing to do is to depart from that relationship, to end that relationship. And you may be a major factor in that person's conversion. I think that, again, it speaks, like you said, to when you don't stick with someone, when something's unhealthy, it can lead to that person growing as a potential spouse for someone else or even in their faith by being honest with them. It's very true and it's hard for both people, but it's also hard for that person because I wanted to talk a little bit about intercessory prayer. And I know that you, Timory, and Relevant Radio listeners have been praying for Shia's continued conversion and just this testimony that he gave to Bishop Robert Barron was so beautiful. So it just, our prayers, our intercessory prayers are very important and powerful. And the gospel yesterday was about St. Peter praying for his mother-in-law and the Lord in the Lord Jesus healing her. So I want us to take, I want people especially to here and now to take this in their minds and put it into their own lives that you may have had a connection with someone that failed to lead to a healthy relationship but you may still remember the beauty of that connection and the positives of that relationship. So maybe this is the Lord is bringing this to your mind or it's coming to your mind. And maybe the Lord wants you to pray and intercede for that person. You don't know if there may, there may not be anyone else praying for that person, actually. So if you continue and are persistent in prayer, that's very important. 
I recently date coached a young woman who went through a breakup a few months ago and she wasn't, she wasn't happy about it. She did spend a lot of time and reflect, um, after time, she spent time praying and reflecting over the relationship and she realized so many of the mistakes that she had made, but she learned so much from this prayerful time. And I told her that the majority of connections that you'll have in your life will not result in marriage. If you think about it, that's just what it is. You're going to marry one person, not all the people who you meet and all the people who you connect with. Marriage is reserved for one special person, but it does not discount the value of those people who you've connected with in the past for your own soul and the other person's soul. So that's why single the singleness time can be very important and through living righteously during your single years, you are actually evangelizing more than you think. Mm -hmm. Isn't this true? And when you were talking about that, it also reminded me of the important idea that I remember when I had gone through a breakup in college and, you know, you go through that heartbreak and those difficult moments. And an older friend of mine said, always date up. That is when you date the next person, date someone who is better than the last person you dated. And that applies to other people. It also applies to ourselves that we should grow and become that better person from the relationship that we experienced. Definitely. Yes. And I just want to make a distinction between what I'm, what we're saying about evangel, your, your, you're evangelizing during your single years, but it's not missionary dating. And the difference between the two is missionary dating is dating someone and hoping that person will convert to your religion or to your way of thinking, whatever the situation is. So to be more respectful to you, I'm going to date this person or I'm going to make, I'm going to make I'm going to be his girlfriend because I think he'll respect me more and treat me better if, if we get married or if we do this, but if they're not treating you well and you're in the relationship, it's, that's actually missionary dating. If you're trying to change the person through evangelizing during your single years, the way that you can do that is through making fit your faith, the most important part of your life and letting that show when you meet other people. For instance, if you go on a first date with someone and you don't really know the person's faith, they, the person asks you out and you're not really sure, but it comes out that during the dinner that you are Catholic and then the other person says that they don't really have a religion or whatever the situation is. Okay. And then in your next, if the person asks you out again, then you can just respond saying, so good getting to know you. But for me, my faith is the most important part of my life. And I do want to meet someone who's also following the Lord. So you can go on that first date, and but instead of having that boundary of only doing a first date and then not continuing the relationship, leading to a romantic relationship, if that person isn't on the same page as you in regards to your faith and where you want to, where 
the kind of marriage that you see yourself entering this into. This is such an important distinction when you talk about, you know, the role of having a good influence on people, you know, encouraging people to their best versus missionary dating, wanting to convert, change them, or even being attached to helping that person. Not even just that you desire it, but that you stay in it because you desire to help the individual. I think that mm. it's so easy for women usually, in particular, a little bit more so than men, to stay in relationships for this particular reason. That's true. And when you try to convert someone or change someone, it ends up repelling the person farther away from the faith or and farther away from the good path. That's why it's better if you see that you're in a fork in the road and you're just on different pages, it's better to end that relationship even if you have strong feelings. That's why I'm saying with it, it's better to have boundaries in the beginning so you don't have to get to the point where you feel so strongly mm -hmm. about this person and it has to be a really messy breakup. And that shows the importance of maturity in a relationship, that you're not just wooed by the newness of a relationship, but you're actually really taking time to think through it, to ponder, to reflect, to ask important questions that are red flags before they become problems. There's a difference between a red flag and a problem. And we need to weed out the red flags before they become problems. Right. And in this society, in this dating culture, it's things are so backwards that people think that, okay, we'll meet, get intimate, and then see if we're the right fit for each other. But when you go about it in that way, the right way is to meet, get to know each other, see if you're the right fit for each other, get married, then get intimate. <laughs> so physically intimate, I mean. So I think that there are so many of these just broken relationships and struggles with people in dating right now because that is the typical trajectory that a lot of people mm -hmm. find themselves in. And if you can separate yourself and say, no, that's not the path that I'm going to go down, you'll, you'll find yourself a lot happier. And that will bring us to another topic coming up of polygamy. Perhaps you and maybe no one you know is interested in polygamy, but the reality is, is that serial dating's all around us. And I've known many people who suddenly this confrontation of one spouse wanting to be in an open marriage, this topic comes up. And I think that comes back to this whole idea of red flags, of being aware in relationships and seeing the impact of having engaging in sexual intimacy prior to marriage. That's Christina Pineda, celebrity and royal matchmaker here on Trending with Timory. I'll be right back on Trending with Christina during our weekly marriage hour, talking all things dating relationship and seasoned marriage. We'll talk about sister wife star Christine Brown and how she's reflected on leaving polygamy. She says, every single cell in my body is happier. What does that say about the current culture of serial dating and open marriages? We'll be right back here on Trending. This hour is sponsored by Solidarity HealthShare. Join thousands who choose ethical and affordable health care. Go to CatholicHealthShare.com. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. One topic of interest that might seem as if it's a slippery soap is polygamy today. 
Some people may say, not for me, not something that I know anyone's doing. But I always ask the question, really? Because in many ways, polygamy is just a rejection of monogamy, not accepting or wanting monogamous relationships. And although perhaps polygamy isn't for you or you don't call it polygamy, serial dating, sleeping around, or quote-unquote open marriages is looking a heck of a lot like non-monogamy and polygamous types of relationship, you're just not making them official spouses quite yet. And I think it's fascinating to discuss because perhaps you've heard of the show but never seen it, Sister Wives. Well, Sister Wives star Christine Brown has reflected on, if you didn't know, she left the polygamous lifestyle and she says every single cell in her body is happier. Christina Pineda, celebrity world matchmaker, is with me now. Christina, what's your initial reaction to Christine's story? And tell me a little bit about Christine leaving polygamy too. Yeah, so this really struck a chord with me because I know that polyamory is trending with more and more people being disillusioned with monogamous relationships and putting on their online profiles that they're they're ethically non-monogamous, which we've talked about before, and all of these things just happening and all the divorces. So I as you mentioned, I don't know, people aren't calling it polygamy, but it really is because if you get if you get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced, have these these serial relationships, you really just being monogamous with one person and then being monogamous with another person. So it's just polygamy, but separate. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's an interesting twist, as you said. But And then a lot of people, if they just have open relationships, they're just... It's polyamory is basically polygamy without the marriage and using birth control a lot. So it's just... it's Yeah, people... This is a good thing for people to start chewing on if, if you're criticizing polygamy think about the own, your own dating patterns and I wanted to just talk about how this whole lifestyle is not worth it and it comes to this I, this truth that men are single focused and women are diffuse focused you probably have heard that men can't multitask while women are just doing five things at once. But this is true. Men can only focus on one thing at a time or one woman at a time. This was very interesting. My sister gave a talk for these inner city boys. And they and your I think sister's she was talking your about co-founder, dating. by the way. For those who don't know, uh, Christina and her sister co-founded Matchmakers in the City and are phenomenal uh, matchmakers there in Hollywood and really spreading across the country. You guys are on TMZ, Access Hollywood. You guys are featured all over. For, so for those who don't know, your sister's a matchmaker as well. Yes. Thank you, Timory. And so she gave this talk for these inner city boys and they were talking about dating and she mentioned about crushes and it came up that a boy raised his hand and, and because she was saying, yeah, don't, you don't, when you like one woman, only date one girl, don't date multiple girls. And she was just giving them dating advice. And then he, a boy raised his hand and he said, what do you mean? I I only have one crush. And all the boys, she asked, okay, let's raise your hand. Raise your hand if you only have one crush. The whole room of boys raised their hand. 
which is really interesting because a lot of times you think, oh, men can't settle down because they're supposed to like more than one woman. And it's not true. So this single focus is important. And that's why this polygamous situation that Christine Brown was in was so terrible. She said that I realized I didn't really want to live it anymore. I didn't like sharing a husband or feeling like I wasn't important. If men are single focused, they're only focused on one woman. So she wasn't getting attention. And it's just, it's just a very problematic situation for so many reasons. That's why the Lord clearly shows that marriage is meant for one man and one woman. People might say, oh, but polygamy is in the Bible. That doesn't make it right. Just because the Bible shows people as they are doesn't mean that we need to follow everything that they do. A good example would be King David, who wrote beautiful Psalms and did some wonderful things in his life. But he also did a lot of bad things that we're not supposed to repeat So that is, even the Mormon church had done away with polygamy in 1890. It's not something that they're prescribing for people, but this particular sister wives family considers themselves um, Mormons still. So I don't know. It just seems, it seems like this situation has to end in both the polyamory and the polygamy. Right. And it, as you speak to it was never intended. That was never God's purpose. Genesis chapter 2 says the two, the two shall become one flesh, one man and one woman marriage. And when Jesus Christ is talking about the problem of the brokenness of marriage, examples would be Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19. He talks about, you know, the exceptions that people like to argue that were made. And these weren't, these were human laws. They weren't God-given laws. And he said, what was it from the beginning? The two shall become one flesh, one man, one woman. And anything that fell away from that, from Abraham to David, to you name it, was not the original purpose for marriage. You just look at, I remember my sister when she did marriage prep, the priest sat down with the two of them and he had them read all of the book of Genesis. And he would have them as they went through chapter by chapter, sit down with him and say, okay, what happened and what went wrong in the marriages? And it was, I thought, a fantastic marriage prep because they were really meant to go through Genesis and look at the origin stories of the human person and the brokenness that occurs when we turn away from God's intended purpose for marriage and aren't united with each other. And that's part of that division of polygamy and polyamory in the culture. But Christina, I think people have a hard time Especially as, you know, they're settled into marriage. Maybe they've been a little married for a while or things are numb or just normal, you know, just average. The day-to-day in life is normal. It's kind of like ordinary time. We get really excited during the Christmas season and during Lent because we have a focus. But sometimes we lose track of our faith and aren't as uh, persevering or we're not growing as much during ordinary time. But most of marriage is ordinary time and ups and downs. And I think it's interesting because when we're wooed by a new relationship and have those feelings of something new, or we feel an attraction to someone when we're married, people can get confused and think, well, because I'm feeling this attraction, because I'm interested or find someone attractive, they then kind of run with it. Thinking maybe I am okay with experimenting with an open relationship. Mm, Yes. And that's where the problems come in. 
I love the metaphor you, you just used, Timory, about the ordinary time in marriage. I think that's very true. And we've talked on your show about how to handle attraction when you're, you're attracted to people and, and you're married and attracted to other people. And that's why in our previous segment, I, we discussed how, yes, marriage is meant for one one person, one special person who you make that covenantal relationship with, but that doesn't mean that you won't connect with other people throughout the course of your life and that these connections weren't valuable. So I think it is prizing your entire life and praying for people. And if you sense that you have an attraction, it's not, that's not a bad thing, but it's what you do with that attraction. If you pray for that person and if you keep the right boundaries, then that could be a fine relation, just friendship with family friendship, not personal one-on-one friendship with that person. But if you take it in a way of thinking that your marriage, you didn't marry the right person, that's when we get into problems. So I think, yeah, it's just people often don't talk about the fact that there can be these feelings for other people when people are married, but that doesn't mean that your marriage is wrong and that you shouldn't have married that person, that you need to get a divorce or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. just part of the human condition. There's always going to be someone smarter, more prettier, um, more successful, all of this than your spouse, but you chose and you made that commitment with your spouse to be married for your whole life with that person and respect that person and lay your life down and lay those desires down, those inappropriate desires. Of course, you know, friendship in the proper context is fine. But yeah, that's what I would say about that. I want to come back to to that kind of main comment of Sister Wife star Christine Brown after having left polygamy. She said, every single cell in my body is happier. And it made me think of so many young women who have been living sexually active, promiscuous lifestyles, serial dating, serial sleeping around, and how when they choose to be chaste, when they choose to be faithful to their vocation, recognizing the desire for sexual intimacy and recognizing the big picture of that being a gift, something special to share with your spouse, these girls say the same thing. I'm happier. There's no more fear of pregnancy. There's no more fear of all of these different health consequences from STDs, STIs, or the level of heartbreak that comes with being sexually active with someone and then the potential of it breaking up because you're not married. There's no commitment. There's no expectation of fidelity. And I think it just speaks volumes to how important it is that we see that calling of chastity and that idea of fidelity. I was thinking about it this morning and about how important it is that before we're married, that we can show that we live chastely by the way we're living with our bodies. You can't expect someone who was not chased outside of marriage to just automatically be chased inside of marriage. And that's why it's so important that you don't sleep with someone before they're married because when you do, you say that you're perfectly okay with sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. And so that call to chastity, that healing that needs to occur for so many in the current society that has had so many broken sexual wounds is truly important, Christina. And I know know this is something that you really work to do uh, both with your secular and faith-based clients and making sure those wounds are healed to help people move forward into healthy relationships and healthy and holy marriages one day. Yes, self-discipline 
is such an important virtue that we that everyone needs to cultivate especially during those single years because that will prep you for a faithful marriage and if you notice like Timory said that someone you're dating is cheating on you or someone has been promiscuous in the past and is not really seeking to change that or doesn't want to commit to you those are huge warning signs because if that person and also if that person is pressuring you to for into for physical intimacy before marriage that is a huge red flag it shows that they do not have the self-discipline that it takes to have a happy marriage if they can't deal without in physical intimacy when you're dating they won't be able to deal without physical intimacy when you're married what if it's you, you just had a baby you can't be intimate after you just have a baby what if the person's on a on a work trip you're not with the person you can't be intimate so cultivating that self-discipline and using that as something that you you really look for as you're dating is is extremely important that's celebrity and royal matchmaker christina pineda here on trending with timory christina thank you for joining us if you want to check out her and her work check out matchmakersinthecity.com we've tagged her on social media i'll be right back today on trending during our weekly marriage hour We'll dive into the topic of marriage and communication, communication 101, and taking your questions, the number is 1-888-914-9149. Today's programming is sponsored by Colby Academy, offering a customized Catholic curriculum. Colby Academy knows the ultimate goal of education is to help our children be saints. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Okay, I have some questions coming in. I keep receiving this question, so I do want to touch on it for a moment here. But coming up, we're going to talk about communication. Communication in marriage, communication in mar- in relationships, so important. Some fantastic tips. I've taken a couple courses on communication uh, for dating, for relationships, and active listening courses. And I found these so helpful just when talking to someone in need or especially when working through challenging moments with your spouse. But I keep being asked this particular question and it's something that couples have to discern when married and you're expecting a baby and that is people keep asking me about the COVID vaccine while pregnant, what my thoughts are and what I did. Uh, So totally controversial topic but again I'll share what I do and then also bring some of the church's teaching into it as well. So uh, some of the concerns coming up that many people have is due to the high rise in miscarriages that we've seen over the last couple of years since the COVID vaccines have come out and the high numbers of menstrual irregularity surrounding the vaccine. So 
The Pfizer COVID report came out. You may have heard it or read parts of it. I've read part of it. It's 300,000 documents released. Even uh, multiple documents have been released. Thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, these documents were released especially earlier this year, and they have a lot of information uh, that was altered in terms of how it was communicated. Here's the bottom line. 44% of women who participated in the Pfizer trial for the vaccine lost their babies. I'll explain a little bit more of the research and why you haven't heard about it, both because of the political dimension we all know of what's happened over the last couple of years, but also just how pharmaceutical companies in this industry is able to manipulate data as well. So here's the bottom line. For me on the COVID vaccine, it was no for me pre and during and post-pregnancy. Number one, morally, and I shared this a long time ago, I'm not someone who is in risk category for uh, having COVID. I did have COVID. Uh, we worked through it. Our family had COVID. So for me, you know, getting the vaccine wasn't necessary. And what the church teaches on the topic, especially of vaccines that utilize aborted baby cells, is that if it's necessary for you to take the vaccine and there's no other moral option that doesn't have aborted baby cells, then you could take that vaccine, but you have the responsibility, and this is important, to contact the manufacturer regarding this ethical crisis that you were put in, the wrongness of utilizing aborted baby parts, aborted babies, and that you ask that they make an option for this and other options in the future without aborted baby parts. And so to put some context in it, that's a really important part. And I know a lot of controversy has been around there. And there's been a lot of covering up of whether or not the actual vaccine has aborted baby parts that were used. And we have a number of cell lines, uh, three in particular that are often talked about. And they're referred to such as HEK293T, or you have WI38 cells or MRC5 cells. What each of these are, for example, WI38 cells are uh, baby from a baby girl that was three months gestation, her lungs. The MRC5 cells were obtained from a 14-week-old little baby boy from his lungs. Um, the HEK293T came from, uh, for example, I believe I'm looking at a little girl and her kidneys. And so to be clear, when we're talking about this, these are the babies two girls and, two, and one boy predominantly, whose body parts were used for these vaccines. And so it's important that we humanize and recognize the reality that if we find that medical necessity for that vaccine and there are no other moral options, we still have, as the church has taught, that responsibility to contact the manufacturers. So for me, I wasn't, it was a no for me. I draw the line with things that have been created using aborted baby parts. Uh, and again, that's the first part that was a no for me when people keep asking. And also, the high risk of miscarriage that was initially discussed before the vaccines came out. And then for some reason, uh, those pamphlets that came, at least in the vaccines in the UK, were removed, where originally it said women who were pregnant or who were nursing should not take the vaccine. And suddenly that was there, it was documented, then we weren't seeing it or hearing that as often. And again, it, we live in a time of misinformation. And I would argue, especially with some of our medical cho choices, especially 
things such as contraception, we are not engaging in informed consent. And what I hate and what's so heartbreaking is that lives have been lost over this. Many people today who are pregnant say, hey, you're pregnant, you're Catholic, what did you do? How do you navigate this? Well, I think it's important to understand some of the research that's out there. And you have to do digging, unfortunately, in today's day and age to really uh, come to the facts so that you can make an informed decision. So just focusing, for example, on the Pfizer vaccine, because we know, for example, the Pfizer vaccine in particular didn't use that baby girl, the HEK293T aborted baby, her kidneys. And they used it in the the tests um, to basically check and see how the COVID-19 vaccine was used. So it wasn't in, at least we know, because not all research has to be fully uh exposed, but we do know it was used in testing that did come out. So what happened? 44% of the women who participated in the Pfizer trial for the COVID-19 vaccine lost their baby. That's nearly one out of two women who were pregnant. Yet today, the CDC does still recommend the Pfizer vaccine for women. Why? Again, that's another conversation for another day. But what I can tell you about the research, and again, that's the question people are asking. Pfizer has in their research, they knew that one out of two women were losing their babies when taking the vaccine. But what they did is they recovered the results and changed it and called this a recovered result adverse effect. So what does that mean? A recovered result adverse effect is similar to, for example, someone has a side effect, but then it changes, it goes away. So for example, usually a recovered result adverse effect would be a headache where you have a headache, but it gets better. Well, what Pfizer did is that they reclassified one out of two women losing their babies if they were pregnant during this trial. And they noted it as, well, this is something that happened, but the women got better as if pregnancy is an illness that is meant to be gotten over. (laughs) Um, It's just fascinating that that's even something we could do. But what this really was, was women were losing their babies. That's not something you just recover from. Your body might heal, but nothing can fix the loss of a lost child. And Pfizer and these other vaccine companies do need to be held culpable for the misinformation, the rewriting of the truth of the situation. And so when people have been asking some of these questions, again, the Pfizer vaccine, what we've seen in the research, especially with these 300,000 pages that have come available after the Freedom of Information Act this year, we're seeing, you know, some of the truths that babies are having myocarditis uh, from the vaccine, and it's leading in part to stillbirths. We're seeing this is leading also the shedding of the uterus is what's happening as a result as well often the vaccine, which is leading to the menstrual irregularities as well as part of the cause for miscarriage. And so this is just some of the true information. It's documented and out there. The lack of transparency has been abhorrent. And as people keep asking me, and I received the question again this afternoon, uh, if I decided to do the COVID vaccine before, during, or after pregnancy, those are my main reasons. Again, uh, I'm not someone who needed the vaccine. And 
the connection to abortion for me just wasn't something that was acceptable for me. I couldn't in my conscience do that. And again, I explained if you need to go back and listen to the podcast, the church is teaching on how we navigate those situations. So that's what we did, uh, especially with pregnancy. I understand the delicacy and the pressure and the difficulty in making some of those medical decisions today. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly marriage hour on trending. Communication 101. I received a fascinating question question. And if you didn't go and listen to the episode yet, you have to check it out. Uh, During our gentleman's hour, a man tweeted me this last week saying, hey, I love what the church teaches. Can you please tell that to my wife? I'm kind of scared of her. So we talked about yesterday what to do when you're scared to tell your spouse something. But it brought to mind the whole conversation of communication skills. And sometimes when we're scared to tell our spouse something, there can be things going on, but also it comes down to communicating. And whether it's family of origin difficulties that you didn't necessarily have a good model of communication, or maybe it's just a lack of experience, communication skills are something we can all work on at every season of our lives, whether for our marriages or just active listening. I love active listening courses. If you've ever had the opportunity or have the opportunity to take a course or a workshop on active listening, it is probably one of the best skills you will ever use and you will use it on a regular basis. But before we get to active listening, let's think a little bit about communication. So I love this, and I heard it some years ago, feelings are not facts, but they do matter. We live in a culture that is so emotive that we say, well, I feel X or I feel that, rather than saying, I think X or I think Y. I was training some young people in a debate this summer on the topic of abortion, and I had one group of the students pose the pro-abortion stance and argue and defend it, and one side pose the pro-life stance. And one of the pro-abortion advocates was talking a very emotive argument defending abortion, and the pro-life young man stands up and says, well, facts don't care about your feelings. To which I said, okay, probably not the right tone to share something when you're practicing how to debate well, but what he said was true. Facts don't care about your feelings. And that's something important that sometimes we need to remind ourselves when it comes to relationships and conversations and disagreements and communication, that sometimes we allow our feelings to cloud the important problem or challenge that's before us. So this brings us to the topic of recognizing our emotions and where we're at and knowing maybe this isn't a good time to talk to someone if I'm in a place or my spouse is in a place where we are experiencing what's known as the blasted effect. Have you ever heard of the blasted effect? The idea, it's an acronym that stands for bored, lonely, anxious, stressed, tired, and depressed. B-L-A-S-T. Bored, lonely, anxious, stressed, tired, and depressed. If you are experiencing, or maybe your spouse is experiencing one of these six things, it's usually a good sign that this isn't the best time to communicate or you need to address how you're going to communicate with these things in mind. That yes, we have feelings, they're not facts, but they do indeed matter. And this, I think, is one of those moments where we realize a biblical reality and perspective of communication. And the role of self-control and the freedom we have when speaking to people. We are the only ones responsible and culpable for our actions. And we have a responsibility to take control of our tongue and what we say. 
That whole idea that my thoughts and my ideas, my actions, my words, my decisions are my responsibility. And get this, other people's thoughts, ideas, actions, words, and decisions are their responsibility. Think about it. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus Christ says, I tell you on the day of judgment, men will render an account for every careless word they utter. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. And so these are really important words that we will be judged, whether or not we go to heaven, hell, or purgatory. What we say, the words we use to people, we will be culpable for. And when you're married in particular, well, one of the people you exchange the most words with and often not the best words with can be your spouse or with your family, within the context of the family. And so how do we take all of these practical things into practical conversations? Recognizing that biblical worldview and understanding the reality of feelings, but the necessity to use facts and focus on the problem. Well, it's important, and I loved this, and I took one communication course that was so helpful. It says, address the problem, not the details. Yes, and I think especially as women, we can get so focused in on the details of what happened. What time our spouse did or didn't get home? How how long he did or didn't do something? The details can lead to much of the argument. And as I was talking about yesterday, sometimes we dig a ditch when there's an opportunity to grow when it comes to communication arguments. And unfortunately, we overemphasize details rather than focusing on the problem. If you focus on the problem, you're focusing on an idea versus who or who isn't right or wrong. Now, in order to do that, in order to address the problem, we also have to understand the differences in people. And you could draw this as a male-female divide. Often it is men are more likely to be quiet and maybe a little more aloof in terms of their emotions and not as confrontational. And it can be both ways. But generally speaking, it's an experience that we see. Men can be quiet and non-confrontational and with certain types of personality switch. You know, one person might be loud. I know my friend always says, you know, I'm Italian. I'm loud and I'm confrontational. And my husband just shuts down and he's quiet. And I think something's really wrong when he's not just being loud. And so I try to get louder and louder trying to make him interact with me. And it's interesting because we have to recognize the differences. Sometimes family of origin things that we're used to, we think one form of communication disagreements normal and another is just wrong and that's not how they should do it. And yet we come from different places. We have different personalities. We have different levels of skill when it comes to communication. And so part of what is often taught in communication courses is that we need to strive for understanding our open windows. Understanding, for example, that blasted effect, that if someone's really, really maybe angry, stressed, tired, um, lonely, uh, certain things are going on, it's not maybe today the best time to communicate about an important or difficult issue. If someone's experiencing a bad day at work or a stressful day at work, maybe waiting till the weekend, that you recognize those windows when someone can be mentally and emotionally available to work through a challenging situation. And then that allows you to address the problem rather than getting into the details. Again, unfortunately, life doesn't always allow us to wait for the perfect moment. But one thing that's very 
very helpful when working through communication is to allow the other person to speak. And that requires listening skills. I took an active listening skill course about five years ago, and there are so many gems in that conversation that I, to this day, whether I'm talking to my spouse and trying to be good about listening to what happened about his day or what his concerns are about something that might be going wrong in our lives or that we need to work on, that we listen and we actually listen. And then after you've listened, before you start jumping in and giving your thoughts and ideas, which are important and valid, that you first try to, in a very simple way, summarize the key concept of the idea, the complaint, or the frustration that the other person is having. Or even just summarizing if someone said they had a bad day, what was it about that bad day? Helping you know them to process and yourself to understand what they're actually saying. But that requires that one person is the expressor, the talker, and the other person is the listener. That allows the person who's expressing to be heard and to share their needs, whether it's addressing the problem or saying, hey, when we had this disagreement, I, for example, didn't feel loved or I didn't feel heard or I felt like um, there wasn't a emotional availability to me for, you know, for, to, for my feelings to be heard out. Trying to avoid, I remember when I was getting married to my husband, we took uh, this one course and it was on uh, psychology of relationships and they talked about how it's important in marriage especially in disagreements to not say things such as or to start conversations such as you always do this so not to say you and point the finger and not to use those words like someone always does the same thing uh, but to again talk about concepts rather than make accusations and they're very simple things it's amazing how often we can point our finger and say you or use the word always making it sound as if this one bad mistake is something the other person does multiple times a day and maybe they do but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the best language in terms of how to communicate something and so those are some basic things we talked yesterday as well that tone matters body language matters uh, these things are so important for listening and becoming active listeners summarizing what the other person says focusing on problems rather than the details to get to solutions but i think one really fruitful place to go to for Good communication skills is sacred scripture. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus Christ himself says in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, men will render an account for every careless word they utter. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Words matter. Now, if we dive into the Old Testament, some of the wisdom literature, Proverbs chapter 15 is full of guidance, teaching us how to communicate and interact with one another. Just to read a few passages from Proverbs, I'll read cherry picking from Proverbs chapter 15. Again, Proverbs chapter 15, read it. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. A perverse tongue breaks the spirit. He who heeds admonition is prudent. The lips of the wide spread knowledge, not so the minds of fools. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Without cancel, plans go wrong, but with many advisors they succeed. The mind of the righteous ponders how to answer. He whose ear heeds wholesome admonition will abide among the wise. 
He who ignores instruction despises himself, but he who heeds admonition gains understanding. See the importance of listening, of seeking counsel, of being corrected, of being slow to respond, not quick to stir up anger. Sacred scripture says a lot about the culpability of our words and how to speak and could just help in the way you communicate with others. So check out Proverbs 15. I'll post a link uh, so that you remember that in the podcast notes for today's show. Up next is a family rosary across America.